Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrisone, who was charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Canarick and Robert Goodwin. Canarick was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrisone's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrisone fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane and, in the alternative, because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we presented defense attorney Edward Belinkus's opening statement to the trial's jury. In this installment, we begin our look at the direct examination of the trial's first witness, the police officer who initially responded to the dispatch reporting shots fired on August 7, 2019 at 411 West Mill Road in Washington Township, New Jersey. That's coming up right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. After lunch on March 28, 2022, Judge Stephen Taylor invites prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn to call the state's first witness, and Shellhorn brings to the stand the officer who initially responded to a dispatch reporting shots fired at 411 West Mill Road. Corporal Derek Heimer takes the stand in a Washington Township police uniform. He is clean-shaven and sports two inches of brown hair, shaved to the skin on the sides, and parted on his left side. Heimer is a nine-year veteran of that department and served as a patrol officer at the time of the counteract shooting. On the day of the shooting, Heimer was directing traffic around a tree trimming job when he received a dispatch report that there was an active shooter at 411 West Mill Road in Long Valley. Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn conducts the direct examination for the state of New Jersey. Because the jury is spread out for social distancing reasons related to COVID-19 and some of the jurors sit behind the prosecutor, Shellhorn questions Heimer seated at the prosecutor's table. He asks the officer about what happened when he arrived at the West Mill Road address. Were there any other uh, law enforcement officers or first responders at the scene when you got there? No. Can you describe for the jury the general layout of the uh, property as you would turn onto it from West Mill Road? I made a right onto the driveway, about 250 feet down the driveway. On the left-hand side, there was a two-floor um, white house. About 75 to 50 feet beyond that, there's a hill crest, and about 800 to 1,000 feet, there's a barn in the back. Based on the nature of the uh, dispatch that you were responding to, when you turned onto the driveway, what did you do? open my door and uh, remove my firearm from the holster. Can you explain to the jury why you opened your door? In the event that I had to stop suddenly, I could exit the vehicle right away. At some point, did something catch your attention while you were driving uh, on the driveway? Yes, right near the Hillcrest, I saw a, an older white male casually walking and speaking on a, what appeared to be a telephone. And when you say uh, near the Hillcrest, um, can you describe for the jury where that would be on the map of S391? You follow the driveway from West Mill Road on the left, you pass the residence, and then there's some a, a group of trees before you hit that field on the left, right in that area, standing near the driveway. 
Based on seeing that uh, person walking there, what did you do? I began to continue driving down the driveway. And as I did that, the person that I saw walked over the hill crest out of my view. Did you hear anything at that point or around that point that caught your attention? Yes. Can you explain that to the jury? I heard somebody yell help. And approximately where were you when you heard that? I was on the main driveway in the area by the, um, the offshoot to the parking area behind the residence. Meaning that it would have been uh, to your left-hand side? Yes. And that was the same side that your door was open toward? Yes, that's correct. After you heard that, what did you do next? I put the vehicle in park and get out of my vehicle. At this point, could you see any people? No. What did you see in that driveway? I saw a silver Ram pickup truck pulled head on into that driveway. Did you proceed down the driveway in the direction that you said that you heard uh, the voice? Yes. What did you do as you went past the Ram pickup truck? I checked to confirm that nobody was inside the vehicle. Was there anybody? No. At some point, did you uh, get to the front of the pickup truck? Yes. Can you tell the jury what you saw? Uh, to my left, there was a, there were a couple windows in the back of the house. There's a back door on the right with a small set of steps. In the area of the patio and the steps, there was a female lying on the back and one male on top of another male, a couple of feet. It would have been to the right when I was looking at it. At that time, did you know who any of the individuals were? No. Did you come to find out who they were during the subsequent investigation after uh, things settled down? Yes. Uh, can you tell the jury who you came to learn that the female was? Lauren Ketterer. And you indicated that there were two men there? Yes. Starting with uh, the man who was on the ground, did you come to learn who that was? Yes. Who was that? Michael Barrison. And do you see that individual in court today? Yes. Could you identify that person by an article of clothing for them? White shirt and yellow tie. Identifying and defendant Michael Barrison for the record. Did you uh, eventually come to learn who the second male was? Yes. Who is that? Robert Goodwin. Now you described that you came around the silver truck you saw this scene in front of you approximately what was the distance between you and where these people were maybe around 20 feet and do you recall approximately how close they were to one another within a couple of feet two or three feet uh, what did you do when you saw that i saw that i asked out loud i yelled where's the shooter mr goodwin the man on top replied here um, i asked again he was on, on top of mr barrison's back he shook him by his shoulders and said this is the shooter now, you indicated before uh, that when you pulled onto the driveway, you had already pulled out your gun based on the nature of the dispatch? Yes. Did you still have your gun out at this point? Yes. What did you say, or what did you do, rather, uh, when you were told that that was uh, the situation? I had Mr. Goodwin get off of Mr. Barrison, at which time he grabbed a small dog that was in the area, picked the dog up. As he did that, he came to my left, and I made my way toward Mr. Barrison. Uh, what was the defendant doing at that point? The defendant was lying on the ground. Did you make any contact with him? Yes. And can you tell the jury what you did? While I was making my way over there, I asked where the gun was. Mr. Goodwin, uh, I don't, I'm not sure verbatim, but something that affected it was underneath him. I rolled Mr. Barrison onto his right side. His right arm was visible. His left arm was under his torso. When I rolled him to his right side, I could see his hand was open and the gun was lying next to him. Can you describe the gun? Yes, it was a black and pink handgun. Based on the nature of the call and seeing that gun, what did you do? I picked the gun up, removed the magazine, pulled the slide back. Um, I threw the gun to my left and the magazine to my right, which was toward my vehicle. Approximately how far away were you at that point from uh, Warren Canada? Maybe two or three feet. And what was your position with respect to the defendant, Michael Barrison? I was standing 
say that he is a bystander. Were you doing anything uh, in order to restrain him? I checked him for weapons, from whether there was no other gun or anything that could hurt me, and then he stayed on the ground. At some point, did any other officers arrive uh, to that area? Yes. Do you recall who that was? Officer John Wartenberg. And do you recall what happened when Officer John Wartenberg arrived? When he arrived, he asked what I needed. I asked that he get um, chest seals out of one of the cars. What are chest seals? Chest seals, it's a piece of adhesive plastic that you put over any chest or um, abdominal penetrating wound. prevents air from getting into or out of the chest cavity and collapsing along. Why did you ask him to get chest seals? Uh, these Miss Cataract, I saw two gunshot wounds in her upper left chest. What did uh, Officer Wardenberg do? He went back to my vehicle and obtained my uh, medical bag, which had chest seals in it, and then brought it back to me. When he got back, what did you do next? We handcuffed Mr. Baritone. Where did you turn your attention after handcuffing the defendant? Back to the victim, Ms. Hatterick. And what did you do uh, in terms of providing any treatment? I held some pressure on her chest wounds and then and attended to a gunshot wound in her hand, her right hand. Are you aware at some point whether uh, other officers then arrived on scene? Yes. And are you aware whether any emergency medical arrived on scene? Yes. Did you see what the emergency medical did? Uh, yes. I was with Ms. Cataract when they approached the drugs. They tended to her and then put her on a stretcher and put her to the hospital. Did you see if treatment was provided to the defendant at all? Yes. Can you describe that for the jury? Mr. Barrison, Officer Henson with Mr. Barrison in the middle of the driveway, that parking area. Prior to receiving medical treatment, he was moved to the side of a trailer that was in the area. He was seated against there. Um, there was medical personnel near him. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing. Do you recall what your observations of the defendant were at that point? Yes. Can you tell the jury? He had blood on his face and uh, what appeared to be a laceration on his forehead. Are you aware of whether Mr. Goodwin received any treatment at the scene? Uh, I'm not sure. Now, you indicated that the defendant uh, was handcuffed by you and Officer Wartenberg. Yes. And uh, I think you then said that you turned custody of him over to Officer Hensley? Yes, that's correct. Do you recall where the defendant was handcuffed? In the back. Handcuffed, handcuffed behind his back. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Having guided Corporal Heimer through the series of events that culminated in his placing restraints on the defendant, Shellhorn, with the stipulation of defense counsel, shows the officer a photo of the crime scene taken shortly after the events that the officer just described. Corporal, do you recognize uh, S-214? Yes. What is S-214 a picture of? It's a picture from the main section of the driveway toward the driveway that goes behind the house in the small parking area. And the vantage point, that S214, can you describe where that is in relationship to where you would have parked or stopped your car? It's in the, the same area. I'm assuming, but I want you to put it on the record, uh, there's something different about the way this picture appears from when you arrived on scene? Yes, there was no police tape, no gloves, no police car. It was a little lighter, and it hadn't rained that much at that point. Now, you indicated when you initially got out of your car and came into this back uh, driveway area, 
that you came around uh, silver pickup from. Is that the silver pickup truck you were referring to? Yes, it is. Shellhorn then indicates to Judge Taylor that he would like to introduce two diagrams of the crime scene that the parties have stipulated are authentic and accurate. Taylor explains the significance of this stipulation to the jury, and then Shellhorn asks Heimer about the diagrams. Corporal, have you seen S-389 before? Yes. What is S-389? It's an overhead diagram of the main driveway, the parking area behind the house and the house. And is this a fair and accurate uh, diagram of what you encountered at the scene of 411 West Mill Road on August 7th, 2019? Yes. Now, you indicated that you had parked uh, your patrol vehicle somewhere on the driveway. And when you indicated that you had proceeded behind the farmhouse by the truck, do you see the silver truck represented on the side there? Yes. As you came around that truck and you indicated that you saw Ms. Kanarek, Mr. Goodwin, and the defendant, can you describe the, uh, and explain to the jury the approximate area where you saw those three individuals? The back of the house where it says back door with a small set of steps. They were, if you're looking at the steps, just to the left of there. And that would be right uh, by where it says back door on the, what I'll call the bottom right corner of the house. Yes. Is that the area that you described earlier where you proceeded over and were told that the defendant was the shooter? Yes. Is that the same area that you described where you uh, rolled the defendant over, picked up the pink and black handgun, removed the magazine, and threw them in different directions? Yes. Now you indicated that you had thrown the gun in which direction? Uh, the gun was to my left. And I think you said that it was near a gravel pile. Is that shown on this diagram? Yes, it is. Can you uh, identify that area for the jury? It's the area labeled gravel pile at the end of the driveway. Which direction did you throw the magazine? To my right. And do you see the approximate area where you threw the magazine to on this diagram? Yes, I do. Can you tell the jury where that is? Next to the truck, it's labeled MCSO number 10 magazine. Shellhorn next introduces as evidence the weapon used by the defendant to shoot Ms. Kanarek. Corporal, leave both of those with you now, but I want to direct your attention to S-177 first. There should be a red uh, state sticker on it. 177? Yes. Have you seen that item before? Yes. What is it? The handgun I've located under Mr. Barrison. And does that appear to be in the same or substantially the same condition as when you located it under the defendant on August 7, 2019? Yes. Is there anything different about it? It has a gun lock on and a zip tie to the defendant. And those are for safety in the courtroom? Yes. You didn't put those on? No. And those obviously weren't on the day of the shooting? Correct. Corporal, a couple questions for you about that uh, gun. You indicated when you recovered it underneath the defendant that there was a magazine in it. Can you tell the jury what a, a gun magazine is? It's the quarterly gun that holds the rounds in it with the bullets. And, and where was the gun magazine located on this particular gun? It was in the bottom. It was loaded in the bottom of the handle. In the bottom of the handle. And were you able to uh, eject that magazine? Yes. Do you recall if there were any bullets located in that magazine? Uh, yes, there were no bullets in it. Now, with respect to the state or condition of the gun itself, I think you had indicated something before about the slide. Can yes. you explain to the jury what your understanding of the slide on a handgun like this is? The slide is this black piece in the top here. Typically, when a gun goes empty, um, the slide will lock back, not always, but on most guns it will. Um, and that was locked back where I located it. When you said that you ejected the magazine and then you pulled the slide back several times, what does that do or why did you do it? It's really out of habit. 
Um, shooting a lot, you always want to make sure the gun's definitely empty, so you typically pull the slide back just to confirm that there's no more rounds in it. And would that be if there was a round inside the, the chamber of the, the gun? Yes. What would happen if you had pulled the slide back and there was still a bullet in the chamber? The round would eject itself. Corporal, next I'll draw your attention to S-181. What is that? It's a magazine. Does that appear to uh, be the same magazine that you ejected from the gun on August 7, 2019? Yes. Now you indicated uh, during the time when you arrived on scene uh, to the rear of the house uh, that there was a dog? Yes. Can you tell the jury uh, what you recall that the dog was doing when you arrived on scene? Uh, I recall seeing it in the area and at one point it bit my left leg in my boot. Did you have any injuries or receive any medical attention for that? No. Do you recall how uh, big or small the dog was? Approximately 30 to 35 pounds. During the course of your interactions there, you indicated that Mr. Goodwin retrieved the dog or recovered the dog? Yes. Shellhorn then pivots to setting up as evidence the recording of a 911 call made by Ms. Kanarek after she was shot. Officer Heimer confirms that he can be heard in the background of that recording at its very end. Now, are you aware that there had been a 911 call placed from the scene before you arrived? On that day? Uh, did you come to find out that there had been a 911 call? Yes. And did you come to find out that that call was still connected with 911 at the time you arrived on scene? Yes. Have you had a chance to review that call? Yes, sir. Okay. And are you uh, familiar with, at the end of that call, you being on the phone call or on the 911 call? Yes, I was in the background. Yeah. Shellhorn then plays the 911 call in its entirety. We will play it for you as well. It is very difficult to understand. Dogs are barking. Ms. Kanarek is traumatized. The recording is staticky. So, as we play it, we will pause intermittently and try to clarify what is happening in the audio as best we can make it out. Kanarek says she's been shot in the heart. In shock, she repeats her address. Please help, please help, she pleads. The operator cannot understand the address. Kanarek repeats it and then says she's been shot twice and has lost a lot of blood. Again, as the operator tries to get the town name, Kanarek says she's losing a lot of blood and abruptly stops talking. As the operator asks for the caller's phone number, a male voice comes on the line. 
It is the voice of Counteract's boyfriend, Richard Goodwin, who says, quote, A man came here with a fucking gun. I've got him detained right now, end quote. Goodwin then shouts a demand which is unclear. Perhaps he is demanding that the ambulance arrive immediately. The operator says she needs some information, and Goodwin responds, quote, You need information? Are you fucking crazy? End quote. Goodwin asks whether someone is coming and explains that he is only five foot six and the guy he is restraining is six foot three. The operator entreats Goodwin to stay on the line and says that an officer is on the way. We hear continued barking and some struggling as the operator asks what type of weapon was involved. Goodwin says he has no idea what kind of weapon. It's underneath him. I'm not touching it, he says. As the operator asks how many shots were fired, Goodwin responds three or four. Goodwin tries to calm and secure the barking dog while still restraining Barrison. The operator asks what time the shots were fired and then tries to find out how many people were involved. Though it's difficult to make out, Goodwin appears to say that Barrison fired at him and his girlfriend Lauren and affirms that there was just one person shooting. Goodwin starts yelling at Barrison, who appears to be struggling. Goodwin tells the operator that Barrison still has the gun in his hands. Goodwin then identifies the shooter by name as Michael Barrison, white, six foot four. Then he says to the operator that Barrison is moving and that he has to put the phone down. Oh, you're 
At this point, Goodwin stops speaking to the operator. We hear shouting and struggling that lasts for approximately 80 seconds. During the struggle, we hear a voice that we will later learn is Corporal Heimer saying, quote, don't you fucking move or I will fucking kill you. Do you understand me? End quote. We then hear Kanarak again say, I'm shot. The remaining minute or so of the recording is a jumble of threats and shouts by police officers as they restrain Barrison and try to treat Ms. Kanarak. We will hear Corporal Heimer's testimony about what was happening at the end of that recording on our next episode. But for now, we bring to a close this installment of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. If you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.